blitz. It's a blitz. Welcome to our PBL Project Blitz series, where each month we are highlighting the work of some awesome teachers in the PBL classrooms. Every guest will share out one of their favorite PBL projects, and we'll get a chance to discuss the impact of these projects on the students, the community, and our guests. We hope you find our guests as inspiring as we do. Welcome to the PBL Playbook, brought to you by Magnify Learning, where we equip teachers with project-based learning tools today so they can engage and empower their students for the future. This podcast will give you the playbook of real PBL facilitators in the classroom, just like you, and help bring you strategies and tools for your PBL game. Now, here are your PBL Playbook hosts, Josh and Andrea. Gotta find a better way. Welcome back to another episode of the PBL Project Blitz, where we're highlighting real PBL projects happening in classrooms around the country. We are back today with um, a great friend of the podcast. You've heard her voice several times. She's always great to have on, Brittany Tinkler, who's a third grade teacher at Southport Elementary School in Indianapolis. Brittany, for those that aren't familiar with you or haven't heard your other episodes, will you um, introduce yourself and talk about your background in education and PBL? Absolutely. So like Andrea was just saying, many of you have probably heard my voice many times. You might be getting sick of it, but I'm back to talk about another project today. And I have been doing PBL for the last um, three years, wall to wall. I mean, once I got started, I was addicted. I saw what it does with students and the authenticity that it really brings to the classroom. Um, And I have been hooked ever since. And I've been um, you know, working with Magnify, I've written some blogs through Magnify, I've done a handful of podcasts, and then I also really enjoy facilitating um, trainings in the summer. So, yeah, it's been great to kind of hear about what's going on in your classroom. I feel like we get an outside view because we've heard about so many projects. So, what project are we talking about today? Can you give us a little overview of of what um, what you're uh, currently doing and and kind of what um, what the learning outcomes are, you know, driving question, entry event, all of that stuff. You've, you've been here before, so you kind of know the drill. So tell us about another project. Yeah, absolutely. So today I'm going to talk about a project that was a project turned PBL, turned PBL to fit coronavirus um, edition. So this project has really taken some turns and I think that they're turns for the positive. This is our famous American project. It's been a tradition for our school for many, many years. And, um, you know, the students coming in and the families coming into our third grade classrooms, it's one of the first things that they ask about, like, are we going to do the famous American project that my big sister or big brother did years back? Or, you know, my mom went to Southport and she did the famous American project. And so it's one that a couple of years ago, um, my PBL partner, uh, Brittany Pasco, some of you may have heard from her too. I'm, she does some work with Magnify. She, her and I worked to turn this project 
um, and make it more authentic for kids and think about how can learning about and doing a famous American like wax museum be authentic for kids and like be a need for the community. And so um, we turned it around into, you know, starting with our entry event as a letter from the community asking our students to do a wax museum open to community members to come in and learn about famous Americans that made a positive impact on the world and that we needed more kindness in the world. So we put a twist on it. So not only were they picking these famous Americans, their famous Americans had to have a bigger purpose and they had to drive and teach the community members who came in to see how to be more of a kind person, how we could learn kindness from this famous American. So we stuck with like a lot of those traditional aspects of the project, but then we pulled in these authentic parts. Um, we had partnered with um, people from museums. We partnered with people like local community members who make big impacts in the world, like firefighters. We always are pulling them in because they're an easy resource for us with my connection. Um, and just our principal, Jeff Spencer, he comes in and does a lot of work with the students on learning about the famous Americans. He was also a social studies teacher. So this is kind of his, um, you know, strength. And so he's always been a big part of it too. But this year, the tradition we thought was going to get kind of squashed, right? Because we can't bring people into the building. We can't have a bunch of people walking around um, looking and learning from our little famous Americans in their costumes and um, the kids were really bummed about it. And I was honestly, I was really thinking like, there's, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if we're going to be able to do it. And I kept getting asked if we were going to do it or not. And it took, it really tugged at my heart. You know, I was like, I've got to make this happen. It, I mean, I don't even know how many years this has been going on at the school. So how can I take this project, turn PBL, and turn it into something that's still meaningful to the kids, the community, still authentic and real, but do it virtually. And so we are in the midst of it. It's actually, we're going to roll it out. Um, March 11th is the end date for our, um, it's the culminating event. And what we're going to do is we're going to invite community members to join breakout rooms in a Google Meet. And we're going to do it virtually. And the students are so excited because they've chosen some really inspiring people, especially with um, what's going on in the world this year. We've got like Jackie Robinson. We've got Rosa Parks. We've got Martin Luther King Jr. We've got these people that are so amazing and inspiring. The kids look up to that they're going to be able to talk about and share quotes from these people, wise words from these people, but then tie it back together and share with their community members on how these people really promoted kindness during their lifetime and really promoted um, bringing people together. And they're gonna tie that back into today. So they're creating um, some of the benchmarks that are taking place throughout the project include creating a timeline, um, and that really goes with some of the standards. So that's me taking like what they're going to be doing with the 
end outcome, a way that they can visually teach their community members, but also bringing in those third grade standards of them being able to read and make timelines. Um, and then that's going to be on a poster as well as pictures of their famous American and captions. And then through their speeches, they're going to be pretending to be these famous Americans. So they're learning, which is also another big third grade skill, um, pronouns. But instead of just that basic dry like pronoun lesson, we take it and they apply it to their um, speeches that they're writing. So they've got all these facts right now that sound like um, he did blah, blah, blah in his life and his brother did this. But then we look at the pronouns. We find all the pronouns. We identify them and then we turn them around into first person pronouns so that they can be that person. And so then I just think that that helps them to remember like when they're taking an assessment you know, and they see a question around pronouns, they're going to remember that definition because they're applying it to a project that they're like super attached to, right? So I'm always trying to find ways in, through my projects to take these dry standards that can be boring or typically viewed as, you know, like the vocabulary is hard. That's why my kids can't pass it on an assessment and find ways to attach it to a project because then kids are more likely to not forget those skills. So, yeah. That's awesome. That project sounds so fun. I want to do it. Um, I also love that you talk about, you know, taking a traditional project and turning it into a PBL because I think, you know, we all have facilitated the summer workshops for Magnify Learning and some of our Jumpstart participants um, can feel kind of overwhelmed about, you know, I've been teaching for this many years, do I now have to get rid of everything that I've done and rebuild using PBL? And so I think um, this is a really good example of how, no, we don't have to do that. And you can take something awesome and just add those pieces of authenticity um, to make it an awesome PBL. Um, so can you talk about the student impact you you got into that a little bit and how attached to the project they are but also in terms of the shift from a traditional project to a pbl how how have you seen a difference in the impact on students with the the added authenticity absolutely when you add in pieces like um bringing in community members to um talk to the students about the project or you start the entry event with a letter that identifies like a need of the community or you bring in outside resources for them to, you know, talk to these real life experts. And then you tell them that community members like have a need, like they have to learn about this from you guys. And at the culminating event, everyone that's worked with us throughout the whole project, they're going to be there. They're going to be there to give you feedback. And once they hear that it's not just the teacher and that they're doing something that's going to make a difference and they're doing something that other people are depending on them for, you see such a shift in their the quality of their work. I remember the first year that uh, Brittany and I did this, shifted this to PBL, um, a few of our um, other teammates hadn't quite made that shift with us yet. And you could see a difference between the projects from some of those other classrooms to our PBL culminating event project because our kids had really taken ownership. And it wasn't really that the um, 
that the standards we were incorporating or the things that they needed to have by the end of the project for the rubric were any different. It's that the way we rolled it out was different, was so much more authentic and meaningful to the kids. And we kept pulling in, you know, their need to know. You told me you need to know this. So today we're going to do it. You told me you need to know this. So today we're going to do it. And those pieces made them pay attention, made them super engaged, made them want to do a good job because people are going to see this. And we told my teacher, I told her I needed to know this and she's teaching it to me. You know, just all those things that happen in PBL that don't happen in a traditional project make the kids naturally do better in their work. And then they're more likely to remember remember those pieces, those standards, and apply those standards when it comes time to take an assessment. And so, therefore, you're going to naturally see an increase in your data and your data analysis with students in school. So PBL, I mean, I do PBL because it's going to generate really awesome human beings, right? That's why I do it as a teacher. But... I also know, and it's not why I do it, but I also know that it has a huge impact on data, student data with assessments and things like that too. So. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I think that, that that's a really good kind of summary of, of why we do PBL when we think about all of the great um, engagement pieces, like kids can't learn if they're not engaged. And we know that PBL brings engagement, but it also gives them ownership over their learning. And I think we all know from from experience as adult learners and in our practices, when we have a little bit more control over what it is that we're doing, um, and we understand why we're doing it, uh, we're, we're more invested. And so that investment leads to better results. It leads us to, to perform better because we not only want to, to impress, but we get to, you know, we get to have a little bit of, of say in, in how we go about doing it. And I think that just, I mean, that's a, a really great testament to the power of PBL. And, and I, the other reason I really like this project is as, as T, uh, PBL facilitators, you know, the, and at the Magnify Learning Workshops, we often get asked, like, so once we do this project once, like, do we not do it again? Because it's, it's not, you know, sometimes you think about like, well, if we've already done it, is it really going to be authentic again? But this is a, a great example of a project that, um, you can use year to year, um, and it, it still has that level of engagement. Can you talk a little bit more about, you know, um, some of the things that you do just to make sure that it's still, um, or I guess ultimately, you know, what is it about this project that makes it something that that kids do want to do every single year, even though they they know it's coming and and they've they've seen it. It's not brand new to just them. So what what makes it so exciting for them? Well, I think Josh. One of the things they, right away, before they even get introduced to the project, they are third graders, so they get excited to make costumes and wear costumes and pretend to be somebody else, right? So I think that's kind of naturally like the hook. Like they remember coming to see like their siblings do it. And I talked about that earlier. It's a tradition and and they remember that piece. But then a lot of the learning that goes into the project could be kind of boring, really, right? It's like history, it's like timelines. And so once they get into the project, I think what keeps it going is, um, you know, they've generated those need to know, so pulling those. And 
bringing it, making sure that I have community partners. And so to be able to repeat it every year, I think that was something else you were wanting me to talk about a little bit is it's important to maintain um, those relationships that you have with the community partners that you pull in every year um, that are important to the project. If you know you're going to repeat it every year, you want to make sure that you clearly communicate that with the people that are important to being parts of and pieces of the project as well. Um, and then like you just want to, when you're going to be repeating a project too, I think create an entry event um, that's going to last a while, that's going to be authentic, um, that you want to make sure that that community partner that you are having be a part of your entry event is someone who's going to do it every year for you. Um, just things like that. There's the different types of thought processes that, processes that I put into a project that's going to repeat versus a project that I'm doing because this is a need right now and it just happened in the community and we're going to do a project about it. But next year, this probably won't happen again, like a natural disaster type project or, um, you know, we see a need for a new, like when we did the Hope Gallery project, I've talked about that one because that was a new business that was getting started. They needed some support and we needed to share their mission. Um, so those types of projects don't repeat. When I know I'm going to repeat a project, I just think about it a little bit differently. And I think about pieces that I can reuse and then pieces that I'm going to have to be willing to change and adapt based on my students' needs to knows. Um, and I think really what happens is every year I just shift around kind of like the, the types of lessons stay very similar. It's just I shift around when I'm going to teach them based on what my students ask from year to year and when they ask it if that makes sense. So yeah, I mean, there's multiple projects that I've repeated. Uh, my blanket project, I've repeated that a couple of times um, because I love what it can do to teach students perimeter um, and all of those math standards. That's like a huge one to really incorporate my math um, each year. And so it's just, it's just really, I think, those community partner connections. You just want to maintain good relationships with people. Yeah, that's that's so important, especially like you said, for these projects that that you're repeating and bringing in some of the same community partners, which it sounds like um, you do have some community partners that come back or several even that come back from year to year and, and are partners for this project. So can you talk about what you see and what you hear from those community partners and um, you know, what about this project keeps drawing them back? Um, community partners, I mean, if, if you have adults come into the classroom and they, they really just need to come in there once and see the impact that it does for kids. They see the excitement on the kids' faces. They um, hear the kids' questions and they see the desire for learning that the kids have and how much they're hanging on to every word that that community partner is saying and they're looking up to them they're likely to keep coming back once you get them in once. Um, I always hear after having community partners, they always thank me too. I thank them. Um, I always make sure that I have the kids create something to give to them, to present to them. That maintains that relationship as well. There's always something though that the community partner gets out of it as well. And I think like if you have a community partner that's kind of resistant to wanting to help, you bring that to the table too. Like 
when you come into the classroom, you know, like you're like volunteering, like we can tweet it out for you, for your company, for whatever, like there's like a give one, get one type of thing that happens when you have community partners come into the classroom. And sometimes you just point that out to them and they want to do it too. Um, but there's a, so much outreach that companies and um, services that they need to do each year anyways, that they're a lot of times looking for something like that. So I'm never afraid to ask someone to come into, and this year coming into the classroom, just to clarify, means um, like Google meeting into the classroom. <laughs> it's a virtual coming into the classroom. And that's like the biggest thing that's changed with my projects this year. I haven't stopped having people. And actually, we've taken more field trips this year than ever before. But they've all been virtual. <laughs> and the kids still love it. So. Yeah, I think I mean, I think we we make a, a adjustments when when something like this happens. And it's been kind of cool to see how the entire world has done that, but also especially in school, how we can get those people in who might otherwise not be able to come in. So as we kind of wind down for the episode, um, I know you've given lots of great advice so far, but anything, um, any other closing closing thoughts for for our listeners as, as they continue their PBL journey or, or maybe just start their PBL journey? I just want to really encourage um, educators, leaders, everyone out there that anything's possible. Um, and this year has really showed me that like there really is no excuses for making something available to your students. If your students really want it, there is a way to problem solve around it. You guys are all doing a really great job. Um, and it has been a hard year. But I think that we need to just hang on to um, our whys and our purposes by looking at our students and seeing that when we do something for them that gets them excited, it recenters our purpose and it, and it keeps us going in a year like this. Because it has been difficult and there's been times, like I told you at the beginning of this, where I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this PBL unit. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this PBL unit. Um, but I've still somehow taken, and it's that drive. It's, it's not somehow it's the drive. That's how, um, it's the why I've kept that purpose centered. I look at my students, I see their joy and I'm like, okay, this is how I'm going to do the next PBL unit. This is how I'm going to do the next one. Um, so we can, we can do anything that we set our minds to. And I want everyone to remember that. Also, I wanted to tell you that I am doing summer school for the first time ever because there's a big need for teachers to do summer school this summer. And I'm going to design a unit that is a PBL unit for my three-week summer school. So that is brand new to me. They're half days. It's all reading and math. Um, so be reaching out to me for another project blitz and I'll tell you maybe what projects look like in the summer. I'm excited about it. That's awesome. I was just going to say, well, we will get in touch with you this summer then so you can share that project with us. I figured you would. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Well, Brittany, it's always awesome to have you on the podcast. And for our listeners, if you haven't heard um, the other episodes that Brittany is on, make sure you go check out 
our feed, wherever you listen to podcasts. She always has amazing projects, amazing advice. So thank you for being on with us today. Thank you for having me. I enjoy it every time. Ready, break. Thanks again for joining Josh and Andrea for the PBL Playbook, where we give you the playbook of real PBL facilitators in the classroom just like you and help bring you strategies and tools for your PBL game. If you want to reach the pod, you can tweet at AskGIEBS, at MissB103, and at MagnifyLearning. Or you can email the PBL Playbook at MagnifyLearningN.org with any questions, thoughts, or ideas you have. Also be sure to show Josh and Andrea some PBL love by rating, reviewing, and sharing the PBL playbook with other educators. Yeah.